All right. Hey, this, uh, in this second service, just a heads up um, moving forward. Uh, we faced this a few years ago, but in this service, make sure when you come into this service that you go ahead and scoot towards the center so people will know where available seats are and stuff like that. So just moving forward. Uh, and if you're flexible, this, we have a lot more space in the first service. So if you're flexible at which hour you come, I'm going to recommend you get a lot more personal service in the first service, just saying. Um, hey, we're about, to, we're about to put a video on. Um, uh, a video came out this week with very strong religious messages. Um, you, may have, you may have seen it, you may not have. This video is likely to create powerful emotions in you. Not kidding. Good ones and probably bad ones. Um, uh, without commenting much on the comment of the actual messages or the people in the video, John and I are going to go back and, and reference multiple times throughout the sermon um, the significance of the video given what we're talking about um, and what the company that put this religious video out, um, the messages that are there. So just, just warning you up front, we actually had um, some people like essentially get up and leave. It's, it's that, I'm actually not kidding, that, that powerful a message and that powerful positive and negative emotions. So um, with that, um, that you're so now eagerly anticipating, <laughs> um, let's, let's watch this, this video. There you go. I don't know if you'd seen it already. It was supposed to be a surprise, but it got leaked early. So all of us have seen all the memes that have come out this week making fun of it, but um, <laughs> the concept of it. But um, we're, we're going to, John's going to start here commenting on that in just a second. I did want to, before we did anything else, give credit where credit is due. Ne- neither John nor I are experts when it comes to uh, the feast and, festival of Is- feast and festivals of Israel. Um, so we, we wanted to first thing throw up a bibliography page that just says, here's some of the, so if you got that, that have some of the and these are just some of them, some of the books and, and websites and other things that we looked at. Um, if this becomes something that's interesting to you, you want to dive more deeply into, and we discovered today that even at the shallow level we're touching on this, we still ran out of time in the first service and didn't even get close to finishing all we wanted to cover. So we're going to move a little more quickly, but next week it's going to be really going quickly through these feasts. That last book down there, Edersheim's uh, collection, excellent for understanding first century Israel. Um, and there's a three books thing on Kindle that is a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. Um, so it's going to be a different kind, couple of sermons, not just because John and I are going to be on stage together, but because instead of diving into the book of John, um, that we're going to instead be, be talking about something that is referenced a lot in John, and that are these feasts and festivals to help lay the context. If you studied them before, you probably studied them from the perspective of looking for Christ in the feasts and the festivals, looking for Christ as the fulfillment of the feast and the festivals. Um, That's going to come out throughout the continuation of our study. That's not what we're focusing on today and and next week. We're going to be focusing on what Christ, not what he is in in the festivals, but his experience of the festivals when he was on earth. And so we want to create that context. What was Jesus experiencing? What was he seeing and feeling and going through all of that? Um, and let me just tell you, this whole conversation is not just a rabbit trail, which is the way I was thinking of it. It is a rabbit hole. You can dive into this stuff um, and go deeper and deeper. And it is nearly impossible, guys, to know what is fact and what is fiction about some of this. Um, every For 4,000 years, rabbis and teachers have been writing about these feasts and these festivals and what they mean. And you, you get the, I mean, the world gamut on this. It is all over the map on these things. And so to understand what's really going on with this, who is trustworthy, who has any business talking about this and who doesn't. Um, a lot of the rabbis just made stuff up um, and connected it to the feasts and festivals. And it's hard to tell those apart. 
Um, it shouldn't be too big a problem for us since we're skimming along the top so much. Um, but I'll just warn you, as, and John and I were talking about this, man, you, you could really pick one of these and teach on it forever. And after about the first four or five hours of teaching on it, you would have no idea whether you were just making stuff up along with them. It, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, uh, but, but this whole concept of the feasts and the festivals is really connected. As we started looking back at the beginning, it starts with God creating the seasons. And you may not know this, but, but the idea of seasons... Uh, and I don't just mean the four seasons that we, that we sort of experience here but, or, or that, that other places experience more or less or whatever. I mean the concepts of seasons comes from God. If we look in Genesis 1, the undulations, the ups, the downs, even, even the seasons of living and dying as we've experienced, um, it's an amazing thing to experience a young person like Amanda dying um, and, and at the same time we, we celebrate um, new births, people who have been uh, new kids being born and, and are being born all the time. And so this, these are part of what it means to be human is these seasons. In Genesis 1, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. So this is when the sun and the moon, um, God is referencing the sun and the moon here. And let them be, listen to this, for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So God, is, God put the, the sun and the moon in the sky to become our guides for the seasons and the, the, the way life goes up and down. Um, so to introduce John, many, most of you, many of you know John Keeling, if, just in case you don't though, um, John is the husband of Bo who is um, on our leadership board as John has been in the past uh, as well, the father of Ella and Maddie and um, they're down here too and we could draw, no I'm not going to draw attention to them. Um, the, uh, um, <laughs> Uh, he is the teacher of an average-sized Baptist church here that we call the verse-by-verse -verse class. It meets over in, uh, in the first service over there. Um, and on top of that, he's the, he's the history teacher um, at Grace High School. And um, again, he, didn't, he knows this now because I said in the first service, but I've done plenty of work with and know plenty of the other teachers and students who, uh, who go to his class. And really, John is kind of the overall rabbi uh, there. And that's how, very much so how he is seen at Grace um, which is really cool. He is a good friend and a brother and a kindred spirit and, um, and wild to think that we've only known each other like seven years because it seems like it's been a lot longer than that that we've known each other. Just um, there's such a strong connection. So um, it's easy for me to, uh, to team teach with him. This is not difficult. The, the only challenge of John and I team teaching is the clock. That's it. <laughs> there is no other challenge to this uh, at all. So let me start with asking an input. I'm going to toss him the question. Um, as a student and a teacher of scripture and history, um, I want to get you to start by describing and defining the ideas of liturgy and festivals and feasts and how they play into stuff. Okay, um, we'll start with this. Um, liturgy is just a fancy word um, that comes from the Greek that means work of the people. And over time, it's come to mean uh, a, like a system of worship. Um, the thing is, um, there are actual sacred liturgies that churches have. We have, we have a liturgy here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the music we sing. It's, it's the, the seasons that we celebrate here as a, as a body. And there are things that we do here. But there are, there are secular liturgies that also point to worship in a way. So I want to start by asking you guys about that commercial. So real quick, what's Nike selling? Are they really selling shoes? Are they selling sweatpants? <laughs> I mean, is that, is that really what they're selling? What was that ad selling? Dreams. What else? 
glory. I like that one. Emotion. Passion. Ideas. That was a brilliant ad. Okay. Earlier this week, we've been talking about this because I teach government classes, so it's politics every day. Um, but we, we were talking about, is this good or bad for Nike? And the, the first day, it looked like it was a really bad day for <laughs> Nike because they lost billions of dollars in market capital. But um, this got released later. And if you'd never seen it, the first part of that ad, it kind of gets you, right? It's inspirational. I mean, it, it kind of gets you in the gut. It's like, ah, oh, that's so cool. That's that's, that's awesome. And then, of course, Kaepernick shows up and, and half the country goes, yay, and the other half of the country goes, boo, you know, that kind of thing. But, but what was brilliant about it, and this is what marketing um, in our culture has done, is they have learned that we are not primarily thinkers, mm-hmm. right? We are feelers, right? That, that, that reached in and it grabbed you emotionally. Um, we were reading a book at, uh, at Grace's last year. It's uh, James K. Smith, Desiring the Kingdom. And he actually talks about this idea of liturgies, both sacred and secular, and that we have to be very careful because, because we're not just primarily thinkers. We are thinkers, but because we're not primarily and only thinkers. I mean, if Nike wanted to sell us shoes, they could have said, well, we have them in these colors. And they have this level of soul, and we're at this price. And, I mean, and they could have just given us the information, but that's not what they sold us, right? They sold us championships and, and overcoming obstacles, and, and they hit you emotionally. And, and, and James Smith talks about that in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, and saying you, you have to be, be careful about that because we, even in the church, we're not just purveyors of creeds right. and concepts and things like that. And, th- and that's a good place for us to start talking about these feasts. Because, you know, God could have given the Ten Commandments and said, this is who I am, go. But he didn't. You know, he, he spent a lot of time not just giving the, 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 the Jews concepts and ideas and things to believe, but then he said, okay, and now live this way. Okay, now remember this. Okay, we want you to celebrate in this way. And here's, here's what's crazy, just as a, as a history teacher, we always are celebrating the, these rhythms and these seasons. And in the ancient world, it was always about the seasons and agriculture and that kind of thing. And I, God was very specifically saying, okay, you are going to celebrate this way. Right. And he was bending their affections towards a love in a certain direction. Whereas most of the other, you know, ancient civilizations, yeah, they had celebrations too. And they did not bend them in a good direction. They bent them in the direction of human sacrifice or, 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 you know, crazy things like temple prostitution and stuff like that. And all those kinds of things was meant to make the Jews different. And so as we begin this study, I just wanted you guys to think about that. As we're, as we're looking at these feasts, they're going to just seem so random. But think about it if you had experienced it. If this was part of your routine, if this, and, and we have our own, we have our own yeah. kind of things I mean, like this, yeah, right? Yeah, comment on, so this embodiment picture of it being more than just, uh, more than just, what we, what we intellectually agree to or engage with, um, when we think about, I'm going to do this in a slightly different order than before, the embodiment, the natural, the seasons, life and death, we look forward to the fall leaves. Um, but we also look forward to the first green leaves that come out. And we look back on these and we look forward. God, God has created this back and forth um, way of engaging with things, not just intellectual assent. Jesus, um, in fact, said, I'm sorry, this is a little out of order, Dwayne, but Mark 12, the most important thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice the fullness of the person. It's not just a, hey, you're going to sit and, and ha- be indoctrinated with something, but the fullness of the experience. Um, the, I wrote a few, like the communion, the tang of the juice, and the rattle of the cups, and the dryness of the bread, and with baptism here, the bright sun and warm water and crunchy gravel and the fountain going off and the, and the greeting with the smiles and the voices and the coffee smells and the rough and smooth hands and the warm hands and the hugs and the cold hands and the passing the plate and the way we laugh and cry and all this type of stuff. This is, these are all aspects of our liturgy, us experiencing the fullness of the gospel in this way. As John and I talked, some things jumped out. So the goal of any marketer is to create that kind of religious experience with their product, to connect it to a season that you would say, uh, this and this are inextricably linked. My life means this at this time, right? And, and you can spot it quickly, like the, the right sound, the right smell, the right whatever. When you think of, of spruce or a pie baking or, or mint or the sound of fireworks. Um, so, so, you know, immediately what season it is when it's the right thing. So, for example... That's all it takes. <laughs> Some of you got so excited at the moment. <laughs> like, and the is... other half were like, uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Whether you like it or not, you know what season that means, right? And so this is a, those are powerful for us, that, that just a quick connection. Um, uh, we've got a couple others of them as well. Right? So you, you know what that sound means. That's the, and then... We have another one that sounds like the other one's starting. I'll let it go ahead and go. Is that right? There we go. Yeah, some people are starting to hum it. <laughs> okay, so the first service, like, I've got about this far and half the crowd was already doing this number. <laughs> so there's a, there's a powerful emotional connection. There's a, especially with the bagpipes, right? <laughs> By the way, it's a month, right? One month away for the Highland Games. Um, so these are, these are powerful things for us. When you can connect it and make it, this is a season. So, for example, it is, when is it fall? When do you know it's fall officially? Well, you know it's fall officially. They may be having a technical difficulty. We know it's fall officially. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's I even you know heard it over here before we <laughs> saw heard it. it. Before yeah. Somebody even said it out loud. Um, I'm not a very big Starbucks fan, speaking of Colin Kaepernick, but the next, um, this one, however, means something to that. It's spring, right, when Andy's has their blueberries. The, um, uh, with these various symbols that we have where there's all different, go ahead and throw, we got all different, these, these all immediately mean something to you. You immediately connect something to it. And then you have, of course, the <laughs> post-Christmas season. That's what that is. That's January uh, season. This, these, are, these are key that we are living these out. Our culture is here, and it's, it's important. What's amazing about the feasts and the festivals is it seems to be what God has done is God is saying to his people, listen, I'm telling you what feasts and festivals to celebrate. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what you should be looking forward to and what you should be looking back to. I'm going to give those to you and give you the interpretation of what they mean to make sure you're not picking poorly to make sure because this happens all humans do this all cultures do this right that's part of it um in fact we've got the the feast the list of the feasts the way we would list them out if you've got that handy um the list of the feast that's one year for the for the hebrew people now those now those are the main ones yeah 
This, this certainly doesn't include all of the other days. If, it, if we did that, it would be a much longer list. But, but and, I mean, it's kind of exhausting just seeing. This is the, these are all the things you're going to experience this year. Um, you can see the, um, there's two that are primary that we're actually going to talk about today that, that are in yellow, the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But there are three there, the three that are kind of in the bluish color. Those are holidays or, or festivals in which you had to go on a pilgrimage, drop everything you're doing, and travel. You know, that would put a serious crimp in your style, right? If you, if you knew every year, this is something I'm going to have to do. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of these. There's a lot of these. And, and some of them are last eight days, seven days. Like it doesn't show this on the calendar. But many of them last a week or longer. And, and they're connected to one another. Um, the first three are all within days of each other. I mean, it's, it's a, a significant period of time of engaging in these different things. You can look these up. The details of the ones that God initially commanded are in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29. But we're, gonna, we're moving through very quickly as God does these. The first one, we're going we're gonna to talk about them in order of when they're happening from today. Um, so today, September 9th, uh, moving forward, what is the first Jewish festival moving forward? Well, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah. So John's going to tell us a little bit about Rosh Hashanah. And could, could we back up? I wanted them to see the, the oh, circular yeah. calendar real quick. This, this helped me. And, and I, will, I will agree with Chris. The more I studied this, the more humbled I was by how little I know. Um, because it, it is truly, the more you know, the realize, you realize the less you know. Yeah. But one of the things that helped me, uh, because it's very confusing, is the, uh, the Jewish calendar is actually a lunar calendar. Okay? Um, and so it doesn't always coincide with our modern calendar. And because it's a lunar calendar, that means the first of the month is always on a new moon, and it always climaxes up with uh, the, uh, the full moon, and then the moon wanes, and then you go to the next month. Well, you can see here where the overlap is. Okay? So we have most of these months that happen in about the same time as our modern calendar, but with, with a little bit of sliding, moving around a little bit. The ones we're going to talk about today, you can see at the very, very bottom, at 6 o'clock there is September, and the month is Tishri. Tishri is the seventh month. That means it is the Sabbath of months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the new year, but it's the seventh month. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can get confusing. So um, we're going to talk about the very first um, right there at the six o'clock, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, and, and we'll and we'll kind of explain that a little bit. So, so uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, or um, in in some uh, places it's actually referred to as the the Day of Blowing, mm-hmm. uh, is the beginning. Well, it is the beginning of the Jewish civil New Year. Now, here's the thing. This is once again very disconcerting. There are four New Years in the Jewish calendar. Now. Lest you think, well, that's crazy. Well, think about it. We've got our typical New Year's, which is January 1st. But what about the school year? Right? Beginning of the school year. What about tax season? Right? What about the fiscal year? So, I mean, we, we have these different kinds of years and seasons that we also operate on that don't necessarily follow what we call the, you know, the typical calendar. So, this is a, a, a moment and which we're in the seventh month, which is meant to be a Sabbath of month, a rest of month. And this is a celebration. Rosh, top or head, or Hashanah, change or repetition, is meant to be the beginning of a celebration that then turns into a time of introspection um, and repentance. 
Okay, um, so there's a couple of things that basically go on in this. And by the way, you can find out about most of these feasts in a general description in Leviticus 23 and Exodus 23, and, and a, those are where we kind of got long lists of these feasts, uh, and you can read about them a little bit. Um, but in this particular one, it's literally a feast of trumpets where all day long, if you're in Jerusalem, they are blowing horns at, at the temple. And so you'd hear that. And oh, by the way, also other people are blowing horns at their, at their homes and at the synagogues and things like that. Um, and, and you were required not to just blow a, a metal trumpet, but, but a ram's horn of some sort. Like, like all day. That's right. Right? All day. Um, but okay, so, so here's what's interesting about this. It's it was kind of a, a, a party day. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, it, it's as close to kind of our idea of New Year's as you can think. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, in East Texas, it's like guys going out in their yard and shooting a gun, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> or, or fireworks, right? Um, that sort of thing. What's interesting, though, if you look at what the rabbis said about it, they said one of the things about it, it was meant to bring Israel, it's meant to actually remind God of Israel and the patriarch's merits, the good things they had done for God. But it was also to confuse Satan, who is accusing Israel of their iniquities over time. So the noise was supposed to confuse him. And it was also meant to be a call to repentance, to blast men from their sleep is kind of the idea, their, their, their sleep of, uh, of iniquity. Um, it's really interesting. There are several, and this is another really cool thing. As we studied these, I began to see how many psalms. I mean, the psalms really was their hymnal, for lack of a better term. Uh, in, in the temple, the priest would sing psalms that we have access to today that we read about. And what's fascinating, for instance, Psalm 29 is one that's associated with this particular feast. The, the, the language says, the voice of the Lord thunders over the water. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, shakes the deserts, twists the oaks. So what you're actually doing is you're, you're, you're meant to be hear this sound this blowing of the trumpets all day, and it's meant to remind you of this powerful voice of the Lord that, that can do these things. Um, another interesting uh, psalm that's associated with this is Psalm 81. And Psalm 81 literally says, sound the ram's horn at the new moon and when the moon is full on the day of our feast. This is the feast it's talking about, okay? And it's one that was celebrated at that time. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of other kind of interesting uh, little... Um, things that are associated with the holiday. But one, one in particular I found fascinating is that at the temple, they were supposed to blow the horn, the shofar, but also supposed to blow the trumpet at the same time. And their sounds were supposed to overlap. But the rabbi said, listen to the trumpets and the horn so that you can distinguish between the two of them. So you'll know which is which. The teaching being, we're teaching you to not just hear, but to listen which should sound familiar because that's along the lines of some things that Jesus said at times. Uh, always hearing but never, you know, listening. And, they want, and that, that was kind of an object lesson of listen. I want you to be able to hear the difference between the two. You should listen with your heart, that sort of thing. Um, there is no evidence that we have, at least in Scripture, that Jesus ever participated in this. Uh, there, there's no mention in the Gospels of this particular one, right? Um, so, yeah. And... and- Certainly, it would have been going on around him every year of his life. It was a celebrated thing. It really is as simple as, um, even though much has come of it eventually, and we'll talk about that, how people keep tacking on new activities and new events and new things to these. From the beginning in Numbers 
uh, 29, on the first day of the seventh month, you will have a holy convocation. You shall not do ordinary work, meaning it's a Sabbath. It's a day for you to blow the trumpets. And really, that's, the rest of it is all about the sacrifices of that day, which I'm sure all have special significance too, um, which is a little bit above our pay grade, even though we do have Rabbi uh, Shawls here um, to look official. We're, um, we really, that would require so much more digging to dive into the depths of it. This is really a lot like our New Year's Day. It, it's, you make a lot of noise, you have a big celebration, and then it's over. And what then starts is 10 days of this introspection, figuring out what have I done wrong? Where are my broken relationships? Because in 10 days is going to be the next major feast called Yom Kippur, and, and you have 10 days to get ready for it. And it is in many ways the the kind of premier feast festival um, event in the Jewish calendar. Now, you could also make that argument for Passover, but this, these two are the two biggest, I think, in a lot of ways that you would say, but this is the day of atonement. This is the day um, that, that the priest is going to um, sacrifice for the sins of Israel, the entire nation, um, to get things right between them and God again. And it is referenced all through the New Testament um, and Jesus' fulfillment of it is referenced all through the New Testament. Um, but this, here, here's kind of what went on. The, in the simplest way, and I'm going to fly through this for the sake of time, but in the simplest sense, after these 10 days in which the Jewish people are all asking themselves, who have I wronged? Who do I owe a debt to? Who do I need to make things right with? Who have I offended? And who has offended me? And how do I make these relationships right? So for 10 days, they worked on that. Because they were going to stand essentially before God and say, now you forgive us, we've made things right with us. And that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. I really recommend it. Not to get off on application, but man, what a great idea. The fourth, if I remember correctly, it's the fourth step in the 12-step program is, is to, to look at your life and see where have I um, broken this stuff and where do I need to reconcile these relationships and, and how do I make an accounting for the relationships I've broken and, and how to deal with that. That, I think, is a healthy thing for us to do and for the Jewish people. Um, to simplify this, you essentially had a normal day, but you also had an entirely abnormal day crammed into the middle of it. And so the high priest would not sleep the night before. Now, let's take a second with the high priest. Um, we have this high image of the high priest because we're, we read the Old Testament and that kind of stuff. But understand that probably at the time of Jesus, the high priest was essentially a bribed position. Um, it was probably uh, essentially appointed by the Romans. And so whoever could bribe the Romans to get this position of authority and power. Um, one of my Jewish guides when I was over there one time said that, that the high priest at the time of Jesus would essentially have been like a mafia boss. Um, and so if you can imagine this incredibly significant religious experience being led and performed by somebody who probably had very, very little religious fervor, um, very little going on inside of his own heart. We can't judge, but it seems very likely. Um, so they would stay awake the night before, all different things to help them stay awake. They weren't allowed to eat anything. And beginning in the morning, before the morning, so they did sacrifices every day, every morning and every evening, with very, fair, very few exceptions, the Jewish people had morning and evening sacrifices for all types of different things that you could do. But in the morning sacrifice, so he would, this year, this day of the year, he would put on all of his finery, the best materials, the, the, the most expensive materials, it's lined with gold, it's got gems, it's, it's just, it's over the top how amazing this thing is. He would wear that with the golden bells so that everywhere he went, he made noise and he would do the morning sacrifices, and everyone was focused on him and what he was doing. 
He would do the normal morning sacrifices dressed like that, and at the end of it, he would take all of that off and be dressed in just the simplest white garment, much less than any other time of the year. And they would first thing he would do is he would sacrifice a bull for his own sins because this is a human being filled with sin and iniquity just like everybody else. In fact, if they're a mob boss, maybe more than the average, right? But I beseech thee, O Lord, I have sinned, I have been iniquitous, I have transgressed, three different words, covering the bases there. I and my household, I beseech thee, O Lord, to pardon my sins, my iniquities, and my transgressions which I have committed against thee. I and my household, is it is said, on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins, shall you be clean before the Lord. So this was, this was a big part of the morning. This is important, that he had to have a sacrifice for his sins. Um, again, we'll see more about that at another time. But then they took two goats, and this fascinating little experience that they did um, where they, they, had, they, experienced, they, they took two goats, cast lots, chose one to be one that would be sacrificed later, and the other one was a really fascinating little um, tradition that God put in place called the scapegoat. So we'll turn it over yeah, to John to talk about this so, a little bit. So they have these two. Okay, notice, sacrifices happening constantly. Constantly. Imagine what the visceral experience of that would be like. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of being embodied and things like that, especially at the temple where this is happening. But, but they bring these two goats. They cast lots. One's going to be sacrificed. But the other one, they basically put it in front of the temple facing east. And there's a, there's a major gate on the east side of the Temple Mount. And through that gate, you're looking at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is also, we can get into later, but that's, that's kind of fascinating. And then what they do is they basically put the, the, the high priest, puts his hands on that goat, and they then lay the sins and the iniquities of the people on the goat. And there's a lot of weird stuff about the name of the goat. Uh, it says it's set, a, set aside for Azazel, but the, yeah, most of what I've seen looks like that. That's basically a mean uh, um, a word that means to to set loose or to set away or to set apart. And what they do is they literally were told take that goat and have someone lead it away. And the goat faces east, never looking back to the temple where God is. Right? Because at this point. God's supposed to be in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. And so they take it until it, they reach the wilderness. And they actually had a prescribed distance where the wilderness was supposed to be. And they, they were supposed to take a scarlet uh, piece of cloth and tie it to the goat's horn. Supposedly, miraculously, the, the, uh, the scarlet cloth had turned white at different times. But there's no record of that happening the 40 years before the temple was destroyed in the first century. So, you know, tradition, it's like, it's like a lot of the things you run across. Mm-hmm. So this person would then take that goat and head east. And for, for quite a way, you know, miles and miles to the east until they finally were supposed to, if you read scripture, let the goat loose. And the idea was that God would then deal with it. Okay? But it was that, but that they call it the scapegoat, which is where we get our modern idea of scapegoat from. It's an innocent thing, not, yeah, but, but we're going to blame it. Well, you were supposed to just let it, let it loose. Over time, there was an innovation that developed where they basically would take the goat to the edge of a cliff and push it off. And then they would come back. Right. That's not necessarily in Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't one of those things where they were said to do this. But you know, how fascinating, as with many of these things, where you're given a simple instruction do this, and the people were like, well, if we send it to the desert, why don't we just kill it? You know, that way, uh, 
we could go into all sorts of the, the symbolism of what that might mean. Right. Uh, and and the, the people taking things into their own hands and saying, well, if God said this, well, why don't we do this? That would be even better, right? That kind of idea. You run into it. We, it's, it's one of the main themes of these that I'll get to in a second is this tendency for us to continue to yeah. stack on. Um, at the end, I didn't really get to this in the first service. We'll have to comment on this because at the end of the day, um, to simplify this, he would take that that lamb and another bull, he would take that goat and another bull, sacrifice them and mix their blood together. Again, the, the visceral, what you're saying, like the sights, the smells, the animal, the blood, the smoke. I mean, this would have been a constant sense of noise and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he would take that, and this is the one time, the only time, supposedly, allegedly, by law, yeah. that anyone could go into the Holy of Holies, um, which was um, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so he would take this um, this, this blood and sprinkle it in the Holy of Holies and on the curtain and that kind of stuff as the final sacrifice for every year for all of the people of Israel. Um, that was the purpose of it. Um, at, at, at least at one time, um, they were so afraid of what might happen if they offended God in the Holy of Holies um, that at least according to legend, they would tie a rope around the high priest's leg and bells onto his hands and feet so that the bells stopped moving they would know he had offended God and God had struck him dead and no one else is going to go in after him. That's why you had to have a rope to drag his body back out. We don't know if that ever happened, but well, according to legend, some of that stuff was there. The, evidently, the, the connection to that is whenever God gave the actual assignment to Moses about how you do this was after Aaron's sons had been killed mm -hmm. by offering inappropriate sacrifice before God. And it was like, go. nope, there's a way I want you to do this, and that's not it. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so there was this, this very you know, this real fear about that. So. Um, there's, there's so much more that we could get into, but for the sake of time, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up here. This, this idea of the, the liturgy, of the, the way that we begin to engage um, in the movements of life and the seasons of life um, in the seasons of the year and the way we connect to that, the way we connect ourselves, our families, our homes, it's a great question to begin asking. What are the rites, um, the rites of passages that go through the different lives? What are the, what are the traditions daily, annually that you, that you experience in your home? And do they point in the right direction? Um, do they draw attention to the things that God says, look forward to this, look back at this? And we ask that question in the church all the time. Part of why I have this coffee mug. It, it, it kind of um, engages with the idea of tradition. It has a picture of the running of the bulls on it, saying that it, just because it's tradition doesn't mean it's a good idea, right? And so something we need to be, we need to always be engaging with is, are we, are we looking forward at the things God would have us or looking back? So what are the, what are the risks here? Well, and, and that's why we actually started with the ad today. Um, that ad points to what could be considered good things, but is that what we were meant to be? Is that our purpose? Is that our telos? Uh, this idea of what we were, you know, is that the good life? Because there are all sorts of organizations out there, many of them trying to get your money, who are <laughs> pointing to what they are trying to show you is the good life. You know, and if you purchase this, this will bring joy. This will bring happiness. This will bring you the good life. So the first question you got to ask is, what are they pointing towards as, as our purpose? And if they've got the wrong answer, 
you don't want it. You have to insulate yourself from that. And right. it's everywhere. You know, that was the, the Nike ad, just, you know, the most obvious example. But guys, that's why people are crazy about politics right now. Right. Because they have found meaning and purpose in politics, as crazy as it might be. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are other organizations that do that, that, uh, that have these very embodied liturgies that make you feel apart and make you feel mm-hmm. purpose. I'm looking at you, Texas A&M University. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I went there. I, I, you know, um, so I mean, I, I can say that. But, but yeah, that, that make people feel apart. And so you've got to be careful of what are they pointing to as the answer for your purpose. And the second thing is this. What happens when the, the festival, the feast, the ritual, the ceremony becomes the object of worship? Mm-hmm. Because there comes a point in time where you, you, it's adventures in missing the point, right? You, you get to a place where it's, if I don't do this right, if I, if, you know, we have to do it this way, you know, and how many times did, did Jesus do that yep. uh, when he was talking about things like the Sabbath? Right. So, you know, as we were talking about this, adventures in missing the point uh, with, some, with some of our modern liturgies, the things that we have, we, we thought of a, a film um, and we wanted to share this clip with you as well this mm-hmm. morning, if it'll, if we can play it. of you have seen that, you know, the, the whole thing is about, you know, Griswold getting his lights right, right? That's what, that became the idol. Christmas, mm-hmm. it's meant to be a season to remind us the unbelievable gift of salvation. It's meant to, it's meant to turn our hearts towards loving one another with, with things like, good things like giving gifts to one another and being a blessing to one another and, and, and all of those things. And what does it turn into, Right? Um, you know, what's funny is that's so dated now because that, that house doesn't look near as crazy as some of the Christmas lights no, no, we've no, seen no, videos yeah. of lately, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or you know, the, the Christmas meal has to be just so for you chefs out there, right? Or the, the Christmas traditions have to be this way, and if they're not, I'm going to lose my mind, right? And there's going to be a family fight, right? All those kinds of things. <laughs> when we get to a place where adventures are missing the point, why is the tradition there to begin with? You've got to live in that. You've, kind of, you've always got to be drawing yourself back and asking yourself, okay, why did God put this here? And I think that's yep. the lesson for the, for the feasts. John mentioned the Sabbath. You know, God, God essentially, he gave an instruction with the Sabbath. Here's the Sabbath. Um, one day out of seven, keep it holy by resting. And we've, we turn it in. We already turn it into so many other things that we try to do with it. Um, or, or what the Hebrew people, God really only gave a couple of behavioral things. Don't start fires, for example. But there's not many. So what happened is over time, hundreds of laws were created to define work and to define rest. Um, because if you're going to rest, you've got to be the best at it, right? You've got to be the absolute <laughs> best winner at resting. And, and you've got to follow all these. And that's, that's the tendency in us is to do that. And it's, it's a mistake. Jesus had to clarify so many of these. That's one of the ones he did very clearly in, uh, in Mark 2. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. You don't worship Sabbath. That would be idolatry to worship the Sabbath. You're missing the point. God gave it to you as a gift. This to me, so that the commercial at the beginning, this worship of the human spirit, this worship of the human will, um, it, you know, it, it struck us the, the first time. I mean, my first time to see the whole thing was this morning, but 
There's two people in it. They divide people into two groups. You're either a this or a this. What are they in the commercial? You're a believer or a non-believer. Could you be any less, any, any more religious about your language? Believe in what, though, is the question. Being a believer does you no good. What do you believe in? Where do you put your faith and where do you trust in? This worship of the human spirit is a huge mistake, and that video should show that to you. Those are flawed, broken, failed, in some cases despicable, prideful, childish, temperamental people in that commercial. They are not worthy of our worship any more than we are because we're the same ways. We're not worthy of that kind of worship. The human spirit is not worthy of that kind of worship. To worship us is damnably foolish. It's a horrible idea. And, and if you know us, you would know that. If you've ever met us, you would see what a bad idea that is. Instead, we say, well, how do we focus our attention on giving glory to the one who gave us the strength, the will, the talents? Those are all things from him. Um, it's amazing when in this, in this world we want to take credit and when we want to give credit. There's nothing wrong with the human will. There's nothing wrong with athletics. There's nothing wrong with being excellent at things. There's nothing wrong with taking a stand for something. There's nothing, these things aren't inherently wrong. But when they worship us, it's a huge mistake. A huge mistake. Very, very foolish. So instead, we point to Christ. And so um, as we pray here in a second, uh, that's, I want that, that prayer for us, that, that God would guide us through the power of his spirit by the sacrifice of his son, um, because he knows us so well that he would call us to this idea of a repentance and a looking to him rather than ourselves um, for these liturgies. So um, stand, if you will, and let's, let's pray. Father, I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that we get to call you Father, and it's so cool that um, you intentionally wired us to think in terms of seasons, to, to look back and to look forward. God, we so often we get stuck in thinking that when we're in a season of pain, or our hardship, that we're always, it's always going to be like this. It's never going to get better. Um, and just as foolishly, when we're going through a good season, when things are going well for us, we think, wow, now this is evidence of, of your faithfulness, God, that, that things are going well for us, as if you're not being faithful when things don't seem to be going so well for us. The truth is, um, you are the same. We experience this constant change, um, ups and downs, day to day, moment to moment, hour to hour. Um, we, are, we are very changeable creatures, and so you gave us seasons, things to look forward to and things to look back to. And I pray we'll be wise um, about what we look forward to, what you have given us to be thinking about, to be planning for, to be preparing for, that you will, you will help us to be wise, um, mature about what we look back on and what we celebrate in our past, what we repent of how we make those changes. Father, I, I pray that we would be wise in following your example in all of these, in our own personal individual lives, in our marriages, in our families, with our neighborhoods and our friends, and of course in our church, Father, that we would be wise in these things. There's a lot of things that, that have some good in them, but in the end, there's only one thing that matters. And Father, we, um, we praise you for the work of your Son, and I pray that as we look forward to holidays, that our emphasis is on you. And that when we look back and celebrate what you've accomplished, that our emphasis will be on you, that we would give the glory to you who made these bodies, who made these minds, who gave us these gifts and these talents, who gave us the opportunities and the abilities that we have. And God, I pray that as we appreciate these things in our own lives, the truth would be we celebrate really you.
your son who came and sacrificed everything for us. We're grateful, Lord, for the good gifts that you give us. Guide us now, Lord, as we seek to apply these understandings and learn what we can. Um, Thank you. Your son's name. Amen.